This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself um, sorry, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Hear the word of the Lord. The second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Hear the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Now, uh, you should have a sermon outline uh, because we're up to our third in our series of Myths of Sydney. Um, This week we're looking at uh, travel. So I bought my passport just for no other reason than just to kind of keep me company or for some symbolism. There you go. Um, And uh, because I'm about to go on a trip and uh, we'll now turn to our outline and ask the first question, which is really why do we travel? Why do we love travel so much? I thought I'd begin by asking you, how you, how do airports make you feel? How do you feel when you go to the airport? Airports are those strange in-between places that we have in our modern world that are places that are no places, nowheres. Places that are those in-between places rather than locations in their own right. They can be unattractive, crowded and dull with overpriced coffee and food and uh, that con job which is uh, duty-free stuff, you know, the the whiskey and the perfume that actually is the same price as it is everywhere else. And yet there's something about an airport that I find thrilling, don't you? And an airport is a portal to adventure. The soaring white metal birds, those incredible machines promise to carry us in speed and in a, a kind of luxury to a parallel universe away from the tedium of the everyday. I find even picking up and dropping off someone at the airport fills me with the hunger to go somewhere, anywhere, to have experiences that will turn into treasured memories that will become part of me in some way. I don't think this is an unusual feeling. I'm sure that you feel this too. Indeed, the remarkable growth of the international travel industry speaks to this this universal yearning that we have in the human heart. The United Nations World Tourism Organization estimates that there were 1.2 billion international tourist arrivals in 2016, whereas there are only 25 million in 1950. And of course, technology, the invention of the 747, for example, has made it much more possible. The reduced cost has made it more possible. But there was something in our hearts that made it more inviting. Now, in researching for this sermon, I was able to call on the expertise of a number of members of St. Mark's, three St. Mark's people with uh, long expertise in the travel industry. Uh, Bev Cohen and Perdita Morgan, who come to our 8 o'clock congregation, have both got extensive experience as travel agents. And Renee Leith, who sometimes comes with us at 10, currently living in Jakarta, who is a travel blogger and journalist. And Perdita said, she said, in the 50s and 60s, Travel was extremely expensive. Few Australians would have done even one major overseas holiday in their lifetime. You might have saved up and it would have been your one trip. As airfares became cheaper, people started to do the big trip and young people were able to live and work overseas for a year or two. Back in the day, it was quite the thing for someone. uh, Back in the 60s and 70s, for instance, it was a bit of a rite of passage. It still is today. We have a gap year that we send our young people on sometimes. The big difference today, though, is that travel has become a way of life for huge numbers of people throughout the world. We might say, especially here in Sydney, travel has become a way of life. 
Bev pointed out that we might travel for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes we travel for business, although we kind of like traveling for business. I, I know I do. It's a work trip in one sense. It's still, it still meets my desire for travel, for going somewhere else. Some travel we make is to see our families, and it might have been your situation, especially after COVID, uh, that uh, you were more and more aware of the distance that uh, you felt from your family, and you've been traveling to meet up with them again, perhaps to meet a baby that you haven't ever met, or a, a husband, a wife, or partner. Sometimes people travel because they're moving to escape unpleasant circumstances at home, whether war, or famine, or economic circumstances. We travel to rest and to be rejuvenated, to put distance between ourselves and the everyday routine, and perhaps to grow as people. In fact, this has become increasingly more the case in the 21st century, where travel has become not simply a practical necessity, but also an existential quest. We travel because we want to experience something and somewhere new so that we will be changed. We want to open ourselves up to the world, to the new and to the strange. We travel because something within us sends us on a journey to find something we aren't experiencing day to day. Sometimes we travel because we feel that we need to travel in order to be complete human beings. And certainly that's a message that we tell each other quite powerfully. Where we travel, our travel experiences, as I said before, become quite personal to us, don't they? They become treasured memories, things that stick out, part of us, and we want something like that. The philosopher Emily Thomas, who wrote a book called The Philosophy of Travel, notes that since the Second World War, travel has taken on the significance of a quest for personal and spiritual discovery. The way in which our travel across the face of the earth is a great metaphor for our journey within makes this more and more likely, doesn't it? I mean, travel is obviously a way in which we might advance our personal in, inner quest since it is such an obvious outer quest. As Thomas writes, travellers make an exterior voyage, perhaps through Egypt or Malaysia, but side by side with this, they also make an interior voyage, perhaps of self-discovery or fulfilment. And our friend Renee Lee says, the soul is forever searching for more, and nothing symbolises this more than travel. So many of the great stories of our culture involve journeys or quests, don't they? I mean, you go back to Homer's Odyssey. That's a great quest to come home. Uh, Virgil's Aeneid, which is a quest to found a new city. The King Arthur stories with their quest for the Holy Grail, the prize that's being held out, the great mysterious prize and then, of course, the Lord of the Rings, a great quest narrative. But even if we're not called to such epic adventures as the hobbits are, we perhaps see our travels as echoing in some way those journey stories in which what we discover is ourselves as much as another country. They're journeys of self-discovery as much as journeys of discovery of whatever it is that's out there. We like to think, we are putting ourselves to the test and finding when we travel what we are really like when we are away from all the support networks, when we're in a different set of relationships, away from those things that normally support us. And I think it's worth digging a little bit deeper here and asking what does travel promise? Because I think travel does give us some, some pretty rich fruit. The promise of travel is that we might see the world with new eyes, 
and become better, humbler people for it. As the French writer Gustave Flaubert once wrote, I like this, travel makes one modest. You see what a tiny place you occupy in the world. This is very perceptive. I think you you may think of yourself as significant in your own world. You might be a big fish in this here small pond. But then you see how vast a number of people there are in the world. People who don't even speak the language that you speak. Who don't read the Sydney Morning Herald. They don't know where Darling Point is. They've never even heard of it. And you know what? They don't care. Shock horror. What a great lesson to learn. You have to adjust your preferences and customs to local tastes. You realise how complex and diverse the world is, how rich and yet how fragile too. And hopefully you grasp your own beautiful insignificance in the scheme of things. But we could go beyond this perspective that travel gives us, this humble perspective. The French existentialist philosopher Albert Camus jotted in his notebook sometime in the 1930s. He said, what gives the value to travel is fear. What did you think about that? What gives the value to travel is fear. It is the fact that at a certain moment when we are so far from our own country, we are seized by a vague fear and an instinctive desire to go back to the protection of old habits. This, he says, is the most obvious benefit of travel. It's slightly scary, travel. It's a personal challenge. I think that's what he means here. It's the discomfort and uncertainty of being in another place that teaches us most. A food that seems unclean and unpalatable to us, that's not McDonald's. The unusable toilets that you know, actually demand something different of us, uh, that smell a way that we wouldn't have them smell. The, the water that is, we're uncertain whether it will uh, harm or help us. The Muslim call to prayer, for example, reminding us that we are among people who think very differently. I know when I've travelled in Malaysia to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to the Muslim call to prayer, in all its strangeness, I realise that I am not at home anymore. I'm not in Kansas anymore, as, uh, as, that, as the Wizard of Oz as it says in the Wizard of Oz. Or the, scare, the scars of tyranny and war that are in another place. Or the visible poverty about us that reminds us of our own wealth. These remind us of what we take for granted. Of how fragile it is, of how impermanent it is too. Now both of these lessons, humility and fear, can point us back to God. They can be theological lessons if we take them as such. Now Psalm 8, great, one of the great psalms, helps us to do this. The psalmist considers the natural world which God has made and all the diversity and power that he's put in it, the extraordinary size of the universe in which we stand, the heavens and the earth. And he asks, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What are they that you care for them? What are we that God gives two hoots for us, that he would give two hoots for us? When we consider the beauty and diversity of the world that God has made, including the beauty and diversity of the human race, what is it that we amount to? What are we in the end? And yet, he says, we do matter. We are significant. By by his gracious love, he gives us individually and as a people, he gives us his significance. He grants us power and authority. Likewise, 
The fear that we can experience while traveling is a reminder of the biblical principle that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In our fear at the world, we should turn instead to our fear of the Lord and his holiness, in his absoluteness, in his transcendence, in his otherness. We should be reminded of those things and our fear then ought to become wonder and awe and turn to a deeper trust in him. Travel can certainly be all of those things. But it doesn't automatically happen, does it? It doesn't automatically convey these benefits. And writers tell us again and again how much travel opens the mind. But clearly that depends how you travel. Especially here in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, I think we have good reason to question whether travel is doing for us what we say again and again it is doing for us. One of the observations that visitors and immigrants make to this area, and especially this eastern suburbs area, that I've heard, and I've heard it multiple times, is that Sydney, especially this part of it, is extremely parochial as a city. We're very proud of our city. That's nothing bad to be proud of our city. But we tend to think that the way we do things is the best way or the only way. Our citizens don't reflect the deep engagement with the world and the humility that you would think travel, as we now think of it, would give us. And yet we are extremely well-traveled. We travel and travel and travel, many of us more than once a year. How is it that we can remain so limited and yet be so widely traveled? And so we have to ask the question, do we actually travel so that we are open to humility and fear? Really? Or do we like to give the impression of gaining wisdom without having actually gained it? I think this is because travel has become a luxury good, something of a luxury good which we acquire as much as we might acquire an expensive watch or a palatial home. We travel not so much for the experience itself as for the bragging rights when we return. Something to say down at the cafe about how great the place we've been has just been and how well-travelled we are. The impression that we give to others of how sophisticated we are. We travel not to be humbled, but to become more proud, not to learn, but to possess. Travel is an item of conspicuous consumption, which means it affects the way we travel. We travel within the bubble of our everyday lives, expecting the other places we visit to be like our place, to have the conveniences of the places, the, the place from which we've come. We travel in that bubble rather than with a curiosity about the world itself, God's world. As Westerners too, we like to travel uh, and seek a kind of spirituality. I, I think we like our travel to be covered with the veneer of the exotic and especially exotic spirituality. We've been doing this for a very long time, for a couple of hundred years, seeing the East and the mysterious East as a place of more mystery, perhaps a deeper spirituality than a place where we might connect with the spirit world or with God in a more rich and more real way than we do here at home. And as Westerners, of course, we think we can pu pu purchase this as another consumer item returning with tales of coffee enemas and aligned chakras and with Buddha to put in your garden. We fail to notice how these allegedly authentic experiences have been curated just for us and priced accordingly. They're part of our consumer experience. It's a very Western habit we have to relate to the world through the lens of acquisition and consumption. We think we've found a kind of enlightenment but we may, have well has, we may as well have bought another pair of shoes. 
We've also become so used to travel as a way of life that we forget how privileged we are to be able to afford it. We live in a unique area, a, a, a unique area and a unique era when this international travel is so accessible and so common. But there are, believe it or not, mature and well-adjusted adults who have never travelled much overseas. Who would have thought it? If we travel often, it's because our lack of other commitments and our disposable income allow it. And this is what COVID taught me. I think I found that in my heart was a desire to travel that was very, I held it very precious. Not being able to travel for about three years showed me how much store I placed in, in travel to make me happy and also to make me feel important. You do have that sense of importance when you're the one travelling, that your business has called you to travel overseas. When I was asking online about travel on my Facebook page, a friend of mine pointed out that she has in fact only travelled overseas once in her entire life and could not afford to even consider doing it in the near future, partly because of her commitment to the adoption of an orphaned teenager. Though it is cheaper than it was, to travel is still expensive. The more we say that you cannot really be complete until, you're travel, until you've travelled, the more pressure we put on each other to commit significant parts of our income to travel, the less income we will have to be generous to other people. The herd instinct works in us. I find I travel because I see other people having a good time on social media. I hear other people's stories about how wonderful, what wonderful experiences they've had. In the year prior to COVID, just to give you some, uh, some perspective on this, we Australians spent $65 billion on overseas travel. That's not a travel within Australia. I don't think that counts Tasmania. Um, but uh, overseas travel, which means that we each, man, woman, child, people in nursing homes and babies, spent $2,500. That's the average, right? So that includes a lot of people who obviously didn't travel. The average spend by an Australian, $2,500 per year on overseas travel. It's also the case that the sheer volume of tourism comes at an environmental cost and a cost to the things we go to see, something I think no one can really deny. The most recent fad apparently has been a thing called doom tourism. And doom tourism is where you go to see the Great Barrier Reef before it disappears, or you go to visit Antarctica before it melts. Uh, you go, and of course, in doing so, hasten the disappearance of the Great Barrier Reef and the melting of Antarctica. Doom tourism. There's a selfishness that says it can be there in tourism. It says, I must travel, even if it means the destruction of the very thing I've gone to see. Even if it means, actually, the, uh, the uh, bad news for the people that I've gone to travel among. Even if the travel industry, may, may or may not, even if the travel industry is causing difficulty in a particular place that I'm travelling. And perhaps this means we should question the promise that travel will lead us to the answers that we seek in life. If travel is necessary for self-discovery and enlightenment, then why is it so middle class? Is it only that you have to be of a certain wealth bracket to be able to discover your true self, to understand the world? Is this, is this something that comes with, with a certain level of money? And there's something restless about our travelling too. It's evidence of a deeper itch that can't be scratched. For all the good that it can do for us, our travels cannot lead us to our heart's true home. 
St. Augustine, a widely travelled man in his day, spoke frequently of his life as a quest. And he once said, Our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. Our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. And sometimes our travel is a projection of this restlessness when really the place to rest is resting in God, the Creator. Augustine reflected deeply on Psalm 139, again, one of the most, one of the classic Psalms, when he, when he, these, when he read these words, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. There is nowhere we can go that God is not. Wherever we turn, wherever we travel, God is there before us. We are always in his presence. We need not ascend a mountain or visit a cathedral or an ashram to find him, since he is wherever we are already. In our quest to find him, we can find ourselves looking in entirely the wrong place, or not realising actually that it's we who need to be open, that travel might open us up indeed to see or hear from God, but that God is speaking to us wherever we are, here in boring Sydney, as well as anywhere in the world. And that's the lesson behind our two scripture readings as well. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, well, he, he denies himself nothing in the pursuit of meaning and happiness. And I'm sure if uh, jet travel had been, if overseas travel had been an option for him too, he would have denied nothing to, he would have, he would have given himself that too. He has access to it all. He's a five-star hotel front of the plane kind of guy. And yet there is no experience he can give himself that will ultimately satisfy him. Jesus, the Son of God, who journeyed from heaven to humble himself to death on a lonely cross, teaches us that the one quest that is worth pursuing is the quest for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the king who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, definitely an economy seat as far as ancient modes of transport went. Seek first, he said, the kingdom of God, Quest if you must, but quest for God's kingdom, not for the stamps on your passport. That wanderlust you feel, that sense that there is something more, something deeper, is not calling you to travel to any earthly destination. It is a beacon sent from your heavenly home. Your travels may teach you many true things, should you be blessed enough to travel and be open enough to learn them. And when you are blessed enough to travel, give thanks that you are able to. But Jesus is calling you more to follow after him as his disciple and to find in him your heart's true home. You can begin that journey right here without visiting any airport. So how does this help us with our travels? Now, I should disclose, as many people know, I'm about to go on a very long overseas personal tri overseas trip and uh, I'm about to get a whole lunch, a lot of stamps on my passport and I'm going to bore you witless with that at morning tea. You can ask me when I'm going, where I'm going, and I'll go on and on and on about that. And when I get back, I'll have a slide night and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I have to say, this question has been pressing in on me for very personal reasons lately. How best ought I to travel as I travel? 
And I think I ought to keep in mind three things. I think we ought to keep in mind three things. Firstly, how? How do we travel? When we travel, we travel into the world that God has made. And we meet there people made in his image, however different they are to us. The Dutch theologian Herman Bavink wrote, How charming it is to wander to one's own desire by free choice on mountains and through valleys and to witness the glory that God has spread over his works or to be spectators of the works of art and ingenuity that have been brought about by human beings created in God's image. The more we know of the world that God has made, the more of his glory we have to marvel at. So when we travel, travel with eyes open to see his handiwork. Travel with those lenses. Be open when you travel to the lessons of humility and wonder. Travel not to possess or to consume or to keep up with the Joneses, but to rest properly in God's good world, in thanks to him, glorifying his name, which means don't go on holiday from God when you travel, but the opposite. Lean into God when you travel. You you know the word holiday comes from the word holy day, which evokes the Sabbath rest, that invitation to rest in God's creation with thanksgiving to the one who gave it to us. When you travel, rest in God. Be more prayerful, not less. Make space to read scripture and to meet with other Christians. Secondly, why do you travel? You and I are free to leave behind this consumerist paradigm and perhaps even not travel. Perhaps this year, you don't need to travel. Perhaps why you are traveling is because others are doing it and you feel envious of them. That's worth taking a spiritual inventory, an inventory of your heart over that. And ask yourself, is my trip consistent with seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? You will not be less of a person because you don't have the passport stamps of the person next door. And those who are not as well-traveled as you are not less people. You might find that you can make better and more creative use of the time and the money and still find the rest and refreshment that travel offers in other ways. You could travel with a different kind of purpose as well. When you travel, travel to be an encouragement to other Christians and a support to them. Travel to meet with them, humbly, not telling them what to do, because you know better, but traveling to listen to them and to find encouragement from them. For the Spirit of God is working in the most extraordinary places in the world. And we belong, you and I, to a truly worldwide community of faith with all the richness, complexity, diversity and interest that that means. Who knows what God may teach you through a a Christian that you meet in another country. Thirdly, in all things, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. It may be that your travels will help you to do that. But the two journeys should not be confused. The good news is not that we have to go to some place on earth to find God, but that in Jesus Christ, God has come to find us. That is the truth that is always true wherever you go. God is here calling to us right now, right here. 
Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.